Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Will you pray with me? Spirit, on this day, we give thanks for the journey. For those who have walked with us to support and encourage us, for those who have lifted us up when we have fallen, we give thanks for your presence in our life, in our bodies, our minds, and our hearts. Open us to your spirit this day that we might hear the right word for the living of our life. Amen. So this is the fourth uh, sermon and a four-part series we've been looking at called The Hero's Journey. Uh, We have been looking at Joseph Campbell's uh, psychological uh, look at the hero's journey, and then looking at the spiritual path and the religious path and how they come together. And so we've been doing that on Monday evenings and then reflecting with you on Sunday mornings. And with Jane Croshaw and I, my partner in this, We've taken the word hero and broken it apart in the acronym, the H being heart. And we looked at leadership and how it comes from the heart. We talked about the thin places that connect us to what's important, to the arts, to the music, to those things that move our heart. And then we talked about the hatching of the heart. That's God's job to help us hatch our hearts open to living. We looked at enthusiasm and how that word entheos means God in God, being in God, and recognizing that enthusiasm comes from a recognition of being in God. The third week, we looked at resilience and how in our life we get knocked down and it is resilience that helps us to rise up and pursue the path we are on. And today's the final one, ownership. Ownership is uh, the last one today. You know, when I first saw this word, this acronym and the, and the phrase ownership, I wasn't sure how this is going to fit theologically, but I've been delighted and surprised as we look at O, ownership. On Monday evening, Jane uh, defined ownership as being about choice, as about taking responsibility for the choices we make, or about coming clean about who we are and what we've done. And in the process of that evening, we looked, about, looked at the fact that ownership helps us to be real helps us to dive deeper into who we are, into a true integrity relationship with ourselves and with others, and in fact, the true self. And so ownership is about owning it. Not like young people might say, we're going to own you, like take over, but ownership is standing firm, being open to the mistakes and the foibles we've made, and stepping forward honestly as we move forward. So ownership is about taking responsibility for ourselves and our place in the world. Doesn't it feel like we are lacking this so much right now in our world? Leaders that we look to in the world are not taking ownership for who they are. We've seen it when politicians, is it, is it that hard to say, I was wrong or I'm sorry? We saw it in the summer when our premier moved forward for the best summer ever. And when the results of that mistake came forward, he could barely say, he regretted or he was sorry for the mistakes made. We saw it in our prime minister when on uh, the first indigenous holiday, uh, suddenly ends up in Tofino and is very reluctant to say that he made a mistake in that choice. It's so often true of the church too. One of the greatest critiques of the church is our hypocrisy. 
And we saw this with the uh, Roman Catholic Church's reluctance to apologize for the residential school atrocity. And people outside the church look and say, you're all about uh, calling people to forgiveness and repentance and, and being real, and you are, in fact, not doing so. And so this sense of, of lack of ownership in our leadership is such a challenge to us feeling a sense of trust and integrity with the authorities who are leading in our political and institutional world. But ownership also happens in our relationships. When we are, as, as people, able to own when we've made a mistake, or own our part in a situation. We see this so often in situations of divorce. If, if you've been part of a friendship or you yourself have been in that role, it's so easy to blame the other person rather than to look at your part in a particular situation. It's so important to have a sense of ownership for our roles and rights and responsibilities. I thought about this as I thought about my son who a number of years ago, uh, I found out that he was chewing tobacco as he played baseball. And I said to him, if you ever do that again, you lose your cell phone for a week. Well, my threat that I made was hopefully to try to change his mind. But I still remember the day that he walked up and handed me his cell phone. And I said, what's that for? And he said, I chewed last night in the baseball game. But there was actually an ownership on his part that he had actually broken the rule that we had made and step forward in that ownership. There's a sense sometimes, whether it's the leaders or heroes out there or our very selves, ownership is such an important part because ownership isn't about a big stick over you. It's actually a sense of owning who you are so that you can walk and breathe more freely. Breathing freely is part of what ownership is. It's not holding your breath and denying, but actually breathing and letting the truth of the situation or your part in it out there. So there's actually a sense of freshness and new beginning. You know, this ownership is part of our biblical world. When I was thinking about this, I thought, what, what stories speak about this in our scripture? And there are actually quite a few. Jesus was one who was all about that sense of truth and integrity. He reminds people when he says this phrase, why is it that you see the speck in another person's eye and refuse to see the log in your own? That is, why are we so bent on finding a fault in another instead of owning our own fault in a particular situation? Or one of my favorite stories in Luke's gospel is a classic story of the hero's journey and the ownership that comes in the prodigal son. Here he is, he's come and he's asked for his inheritance from his father. He receives the gift, goes off on a journey, and the story talks about how he loses it all in wanton living and wasteful living. And there he ends up feeding pigs. And there he is as a Jewish person doing the lowest of low jobs feeding pigs. The text says he came to himself. What does it mean he came to himself? It's just like he looked in the mirror and saw who he was. And so when he looks in the mirror and sees who he is, he begins to turn away and begins the journey home. And as he's working on his confession to his father, he goes through it and he's bowled over by his father who throw, got, throws his arms around him and says, my son who was lost is found, who I thought was dead is alive. And he is welcomed home. But it is the core ownership of him coming to himself that causes him to turn and to make his way home. 
The other story that's so important, and you know this story if you've ever been to a wedding, it's often read, where Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I become an adult, I put an end to childish ways. Now I see in a mirror dimly, then I shall see face to face. Now I am known, but then I shall be fully known. So you see in this particular passage, this idea of looking in the mirror and seeing dimly, but then seeing clearly, and that is the path of ownership. So you're saying to yourself, well, can you please make this real, John? Well, I want to try to do that because I had an event happen this week that spoke completely to this sermon, to this topic of ownership. I'm pretty sure all of us have had a challenge at one point or another with airlines. And uh, this past Sunday, I had an, an experience of ownership uh, when the airline messed up. And I took the opportunity to, to interview uh, the CFO of WestJet, uh, who was the one come, taking ownership for a mistake that had happened. So here's the interview I did this week with Harry Taylor, CFO of WestJet. So here I am on Sunday. I got to the airport at 1230, uh, thinking I was flying. I'd already been changed twice. Uh, at one point, I was flying to London and then uh, overnight in a hotel, etc. Anyway, get to the airport, 1230. As you know, we finally lifted off at 7:30. You you come on the plane. You've got a uh, a load of a load of people who are cranky and upset and frustrated, and that was me. I was one of them. <laughs> and then you, you took this very wise move to step up to the microphone and own it. Uh, I would say, uh, this is friends. Here's what happened, and you could feel the. Uh, the temperature in the room de declined to the point, Harry, that people applauded what you said, which I was totally blown away by. So my question for you is, you know, what was going on in your mind just as you took that mic and why did you decide to take, I would call ownership for what was going on? Well, we it, it it wasn't unusual. So whenever I fly, whenever any of the executive team flies, we will get on the PA and, uh, you know, say my, my, what I like to say is just welcome and thank you. Uh, explain what's what's happening and the fact that um, we will uh, uh, will welcome any questions or uh, complaints or suggestions people have to try to engage. Part of our brand is to be uh, more caring than your average airline and to try to go the extra mile to uh, make the journey more enjoyable, more satisfactory. So that's a, that's normal. So it's not unusual for me when I'm flying to get on the PA, introduce myself and, and go through much of what I did. I did, but I was concerned having lived, I didn't have flights changed, but I got the same notification early Sunday morning about the change in the flight time or the supposed change in the flight time, uh, which surprised me because I know what's going on in the back. And I knew that that shouldn't happen unless we had a real equipment problem. So um, uh, I, like everybody else, got to the airport early. And then I went to talk to our team there to say, what's going on? I knew we'd had the lightning strike on the 787. And I figured in in on entering to Cancun, and I figured that 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 was uh, likely the problem, but I didn't know for sure. 
And so what I uh, said to the, uh, the, the gate team was, we're going to have 174 people who are pretty frustrated. One, uh, they're not getting the experience they thought they were getting, which was flying on the 787. Mo- some people probably didn't know what they were flying on, but others pick that aircraft type because it's our biggest, it's our best. Uh, plane. Uh, the Maxes actually are pretty good too, but um, it is a sweet ride. So they've lost the 787 experience. We reaccommodated is the term we use, but we reaccommodated badly. We gave false uh, direction in terms of when things were leaving. That meant people changed their plans, cut short time. So I knew that th- this was not going to be a happy group uh, <laughs> that was on the, the, the flight. And I was concerned um, th- that, one, people would be uh, upset and would take it out on our crew who had nothing to do with it. You know, they were just kind of innocent bystanders along for the ride with us, if you will. So I wanted to to try to absorb the negativity and, 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 and take it t- to me. That's why I said, look, if you've got complaints, you know, let me know and I'll, I'll do what I can to, uh, to help out. Um, so it's just to make it an easier because it's a four hour flight. And for those flight attendants going up and down, they don't want 29 rows of, you know, finger wagging, complaining. So I wanted to, to take it upon me to give them some cover because, um, you know, they thought they were going to be flying on an 87 as well, which they like serving on. So it was a combination of normal practice. But absorb all that um, frustration, if you will, and 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 divert it from our crew who have a tough enough time to to serve a full flight. So that was that was the intent. I knew I couldn't make things right, but just to acknowledge it is and to feel like you know you're heard and your frustration is felt. I think is important, and then. You should have received an email or a call from someone. Um, did you receive a call from our guest solutions team about uh, some uh, atonement? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So I got to check in and see what's happening there. So that happens whenever we go through something like this, that uh, that happens. You know, in the hero's journey, ownership uh, is so important to, to not blame other people. Uh, you know, Theologically, there's a guy named Jesus. He said, why do you always see the speck in somebody else's eye and not the log in your own? Okay. We're very good at seeing the, uh, you know, seeing the fault in others as a, instead of looking in the mirror. So in some sense, it's a yeah. call to the mirror. It's very funny that you use the word atonement. It's not a good theological word, but in the hero's journey, that's actually the word they, that uh, non-religious communities use, atonement. Really? Uh, which is, yeah, you know, right in the Joseph Campbell's work, that's the, that's just before there's transformation, there's atonement. And so I'll have to look into that. When you use the word atonement, you mean some reconciliation? Is that what you mean? Well, we, we use atonement quite liberally here when, when we have uh, let our guests down or um, given, you know, poor service, whether it's uh, unreasonable delays, something like did happen to us. We, we use the term, well, we need to atone for that because we made a mistake or it was something that was within our control that we now inflicted on our guests. And we know that guests have a choice in air travel. Okay, so the last question is, how does this work, uh, ownership work in your own life? Like, you know, 
this was a business decision you made, but but do you find in your own uh, personal or other re- relationships that it, that uh, owning things and um, and being responsible is a good thing? Yes, yes. Early in my career, I learned uh, more by accident than uh, by design that in any kind of dispute or disagreement, if you acknowledge um, how the other person is is feeling or or why they're feeling it, and try to put it out uh, and say, "This is the problem." here's what I've done, as opposed to saying, here's what you've done or didn't do, or here's what they did. If you start with, look in the mirror, if you will, and say, okay, here's how I either contributed or um, um, have thought about it in a way to, to uh, use that same term I used at the beginning, to absorb some of the negative energy, it dissipates. And then you can have a more... Uh, uh, a less emotional discussion and a more um, a meaningful one as opposed to just emotion. So I guess I just want to say I, I witnessed it the other night. I was sitting in a chair in a plane and I was frustrated. You helped the dis- the uh, de-escalation happen. And it was, a, it was a really good bonk in the head for me to remind you, me that this is exactly what we're talking about uh, theologically and you embodied it. And I want to just say that was good work. Well, I, I, I appreciate it uh, very much. Um, I did get a couple of emails because you can pretty well guess how to email us here um, from people. And some and I got a couple of complaints or requests as well. But people all acknowledge, acknowledge saying, hey, thanks for uh, taking responsibility and explaining because that's the worst. Absent facts, the worst is made up. We're just mean and vicious and we're you know don't care about you so they said that that made us feel better now here's all the problems you caused me um and i'd like a long list of those too but (laughs) 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 but but you know what that's right you engage then you've got a conversation happening instead of just either deleting or being aggressive in a way that's not helpful yeah you know one of the things i'd suggest there's a uh, there was a leader i i worked with for a number of years at home depot um who i had a great deal of respect for and uh he and i both read um good to great it's a, a book by jim collins about leadership and you know in there he has this concept of the window in the mirror and we used to bring uh, i was, this was at home depot so we brought a window and a mirror into meeting rooms on occasions and we would remind people of uh, Jim Collins' observation that great leaders first look in the mirror when things are going wrong to say, you know, what can I do to make things better, to enable uh, success? Um, and they'll look out the window to give credit to those around them when things are going well. Bad leaders or poor leaders do the reverse, look out the window and blame the exogenous factors or others for the problems, but look in the mirror when everything is going well. And so we literally brought these in as props because these were, they were business reviews. We used to have each of our store managers, our district managers do. And there was a lot of finger pointing and, you know, blaming something else. And we'd say, Hey, let's look in the mirror here. What can you do? What can we do to help you? What can you do to help your associates and your customers? Um, and it was, it was a tremendous, it was kind of 
kitschy, but it was very powerful in changing the tone of the discussion. Okay, well, look, so great to have a conversation with you, and maybe I'll see you another day. Thanks for what you do, where you are, and I think you, you know, you helped a chunk of people uh, see a problem, uh, you know, first through the mirror and then out the window, and that was a that's a really good model. Oh well, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate your reaching out, and uh, nice to make your acquaintance. So I have to come by the church. So that was the uh, conversation with Harry uh, this week as he talked about why uh, in his role, uh, owning a particular situation is so important to the business and just in relationships in general. What struck me as he spoke was the word atonement. Did you hear him talk about atonement? Rarely have I ever heard a business person talk about that role of atonement. What's interesting to me is, uh, is atonement in the, in the hero's journey if you look on the chart, which you'll see right now, it's step seven in the hero's journey is actually named atonement. And atonement is uh, this place where the, the one in the journey is at one with themselves and their life. Atonement is when they're at one with the position and place and status of where they're at. It's about being reborn. And when they're reborn, they are atoned in a new and exciting new way. What's interesting is that Harry used that a sense of atonement as absorbing what had gone on and taking it on themselves. And I shared with Harry that there's a whole theology in the world of theology, and one of them is called atonement theology. Atonement theology has uh, been challenged, thankfully, in the last uh, few decades, where we say atonement theology is not what we believe. You see, atonement theology has this sense that God sent Jesus to pay for our sins and that God sent Jesus into the world as a transaction of sorts. I remember in 1985 at the University of Toronto, walking around, talking to different professors, saying, I don't get the phrase, Jesus died for my sins. What does it mean? I have to confess, it fell on a lot of deaf ears. There weren't a lot of people willing to take this on. Jesus dying for our sins is not something that's ever been comfortable in my theology or my thinking. It kind of makes God into this abusive parent who sends this, uh, zaps this son to the world to be crucified for our sins is an actually an abusive kind of role. Thankfully, this has shifted over time. And we've recognized that we come into the world as an original blessing, not as an original sin. The whole idea of Atonement theology moves us from retributive justice to restorative justice. So it invites us to a widening and a deepening and a reconciliation of relationships. Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity. Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. And so when we look at the mission and ministry of Jesus, he died because of our sins not because of our sins, but for our sins. In other words, Jesus had a vision, a mission about compassion and justice and peace and power, and he was not willing to give that up. And that's why Jesus died. You see, we've shifted this atonement theology, this transactional understanding of who Jesus was to one that's called at-one-ment, at-one-ment. At-one-ment talks about the sense of unity, that is after, 
that we are after a sense of unity. And the unity is where we understand that God is ultimately about love. And the true nature of God is love, not judgment, guilt, and shame. So you see, this at-one-ment sends us into a way of positive uh, depth, uh, ownership for who we are, trusting that we are loved, forgiven, and set free. And that sends us into the world with a positive view of who we are and whose we are. The last thing I want to say about uh, the conversation with Harry was this. When he talked about the image of mirror and window, it's so wonderful. You, you heard him say that, what, that, that good leaders, when things are, have gone bad, they look in the mirror first at the mistakes they've made, and then the window. But he says that often leaders do the opposite. When things go well, they look in the mirror first and, and are quick to judge others. The fact is that it's looking in the mirror honestly at who we are and what we have done and taking ownership for our part that allows us to step more fully into the world. And so the mirror and the window are great images to remind us that we don't do things alone, but it's not about us judging others, but in fact, looking at our part ourselves as we journey. So you see, in this hero's journey, we've looked at the heart and enthusiasm and resilience and ownership. And ownership is a deeply important path to look in the mirror, to own our mistakes, and to step more fully into the world with integrity and realness and honesty. And that is what sets us free, free to love, forgive, and seek justice in the world. So, I don't know about you, I give thanks for the heroes in my life and recognition that each person, each one of us, has a hero's journey to live. And the truth of this matter is we do not journey alone. There are fellow travelers and the spirit that guides us. For this, we are deeply thankful. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.